This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Great to have you with us. With the weather warming up, so too is Liverpool's search for a forward, but who is on the Reds' radar? Plus, there's plenty from Austria to touch on as well. Friendly reviews, preview to come as well. Is it sink or swim time for Naby Keita? And a year on from bringing crowned Campiones on the cop, we'll be taking in the summer sunshine full of nostalgia and thinking back to those heady days. Of course, they weren't that far ago anyway. But here to get into it all, we have our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst and Dan Kay as well along for the ride. Gents, how are we both keeping? Very warm. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm, yeah. I'm at threat of melting at the moment, Dan. Don't know about you. <laughs> It's, I mean, I've, when I had hair, I was ginger, so the sun doesn't always necessarily agree with me. I like it warm, but this is too warm for me. But I think yeah. today's the last day of crazy heat, isn't it? It's supposed to get a bit more normal tomorrow, so survive till then, we'll be all right. Yeah, hopefully. Just uh, sun creamed up to the uh, the top of the head, including the uh, the patches here and there as well. But anyway, mm-hmm. let's get into the important stuff. Gorsty, a year ago today, you were at Anfield to watch Liverpool mm-hmm. lift the Premier League title high for the very first time and be crowned champions of England for the first time in 30 years. Mad to think that that was a year ago now. So much sort of seems to have gone on since. Yeah, it does. But in a way, it doesn't feel like a year ago in the slightest. It feels... Like three months at most. It's um, I couldn't believe it yesterday. I was um, I'd actually clicked on my Facebook memories and a picture of uh, me and Jordan Henderson from last year when I was, I was interviewing him at Anfield. And I know I remember that was the day before the, the Chelsea game. And um, Kai Delaney texted me because he did that interview with me and he said, Was that really a year ago? And I said, Yeah, I, I, it's crazy how fast that's gone. Um, it's it was it. it, it it's flown, but it was such a such a special night, and um, it was a nice touch from um, from the ground safety advisory commission and the council at the time to allow the family and friends of the players into the um, into the ground. So, what was normally um, can't remember the exact amount, but basically they boosted the numbers to five hundred. So yeah, it was two hundred and fifty, wasn't it, at the time? I think it was allowed. So they, I think I think yeah. yeah. So they doubled that. Uh, obviously, the family and friends got to see them lifting the. The trophy, which was um, a nice touch, and, and they were all kind of on the pitch at full time celebrating and just soaking it all in. Um, I remember on the night, I remember thinking this might be a little bit of a damp squib, and it'd be such a shame if it was because this is what Liverpool have worked towards for three decades, and this is what so many fans have been waiting to see. And the cruelty that they're not allowed in there, and they're only going to be able to watch it on the telly for obvious reasons, for, for good, you know, legitimate reasons that go way, way beyond football. But I did, I did remember thinking that this might not be what we've all been waiting for as such. And then, to be fair to the club, they absolutely pulled it off in, in the best way that they could with the the soundtrack and, and the, the squad on the cop and the firework display and just the general party atmosphere of it. I thought they did it really well. And uh, I, I was privileged to be there. Uh, let's say it was only one of 500 people to be in the ground that night. And I did remember thinking, as they were lifting the, the trophy, how on earth have I managed to... Uh, Sneak my way into this one, but yeah, it was a, it was a special night, and uh, Matt to think that it was a year ago now. Yeah, blagged your way in there, Gorsty. Yeah. But no, you you were there obviously every step of the way at Anfield watching the Reds on the march. And uh, Dan, I suppose that is sort of the, the real difficult thing, even now to kind of swallow is, especially given that Manchester United game and Salah's goal right at the end and the cop bursting into we're going to win the league. 
but then the fans not being able to to kind of be there when all was said and done. Yeah, I mean, there was a certain bittersweet element to it, particularly for, you know, the likes of many, many long-standing supporters like myself who've had a season ticket for years and years and years have dreamt and yearned for this moment for, well, the, the, the vast majority of my adult life. I, I was nearly 13 when Liverpool last won the league in 1990 and I was into my early 40s by the time it next happened. So it wasn't the way anyone imagined it, anyone envisaged it, anyone wanted it, but it still happened. And the, the thing that, that gave me a great deal of comfort is the way that we won that league. It was kind of, you know, you, you, we couldn't count our chickens. And obviously some people were a bit more cautious than others, but it was clear really from beyond the halfway point that it, that it was going to happen. And, you know, I remember someone making the point that, you know, Liverpool, you know, we, we were winning the league almost every weekend, sometimes twice a weekend if City were, if City were, if City were dropping points. So, obviously, you know, not to be there for the, you know, for the, you know, the, 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 the moments of glory, you know, it is, you know, will always be a, cer- a certain sense of regret to that. Although, of course, obviously, it was nothing that, it was events obviously beyond our control, nothing, nothing that we could do to, to change that. <clears throat> From my own point of view, I was, I was relieved that the, the, the night that the league was actually clinched when, che- when Chelsea beat Man City, I was actually working the late shift. So, I wasn't really able to celebrate properly that night. Uh, although, the, from, a prof- from a professional sense, I quite enjoyed being able to you know, help report on you know, that historic moment. But I wasn't working the night of the Chelsea game, so I was able to get together with some friends. Some of the pubs were open. So I, me and some of my pals actually watched it in the Dovetail, my local, the Dovetail Towers, which is actually where Jurgen Klopp filmed that beer advert that many of us will have seen on the telly for the last year or so. So there was a slight little Liverpool link. And we did, we did have a great night. And, you know, as I think a few of us have said at various points over the last year, fantastic that it happened, fantastic that it came as well on the back of, you know, what happened the year before with Madrid, and we all got to celebrate that fully. But the fact that we didn't really get our full value for money from winning the title the way we did in 2020, hopefully maybe just leaves that little bit of a spark, that little bit of unfinished business for Klopp and his players to, obviously, we all hope and pray that this season we are going to, be back in the grounds in insignificant numbers and hopefully they'll want to do it again in front of a full Anfield to you know to just have that little taste of what they missed out on 12 months ago. Yeah that psychological impact is huge isn't it Gorse because I remember speaking to Sander Westerveld in, in the autumn time and he kind of said that not being able to have the bus parade will have a, a big impact that maybe has not been seen just yet on Liverpool. Obviously at that time they were still top of the, the Premier League and riding that crest of a wave but I do feel that maybe it kind of is underplayed at times, not being able to kind of celebrate that title with a bus parade. Obviously, after the title was confirmed, Jurgen Klopp said there would be one quite clear now. There isn't going to sort of be one. But now heading into the next season, giving all of last season was COVID affected as well, there will be that motivation to say, well, actually, last time the fans were here, we, we won the title that season. Let's do it again. And this time, let's celebrate it properly. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think it, that's part of the why the points of it being almost a bit of a perfect storm for Liverpool this summer. Um, you know, the first day one of, of pre-season, they've got so many of their key players involved, something that Jürgen Klopp hasn't really been able to do across the time at Liverpool. You know, the likes of Salah and Trent, Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip, Mane, um, Oxley chamberlain and Keita. You know, th- these, these are real first-team stars who are there on day one of pre-season and normally... Um, you know, it's reserved for the likes of players who've retired from international football and some of the younger lads. So I think generally that giving them a, a full summer to get, you know, a, a good 
she uh, pre-season under under the belt, and then <clears throat> returning to games with crowds, <clears throat> first game at Anfield since um, that Let's Go Madrid game, that Burnley one, isn't it? The first competitive one, anyway. And they'll be ready to go. They'll be absolutely flying out the traps. And and I think that on top of it, the fact that they haven't been able to celebrate with with their fans, you know, they haven't been able to hear themselves being called champions of England or, or anything like that. Um, might just give them an extra bit of wind in their sails. So I think all of those things combined, plus the likes of Jota and Thiago as well, who haven't played in front of a of an Anfield crowd as Liverpool players. I just think it's all kind of snowballing into something that could really see Liverpool fly out the traps next season. Yeah, most definitely. What what lessons, Dan, do you think will be learnt from last season in terms of now heading into this next one? Gorsi was saying there in terms of preparation can't really have been given a better chance, can it, with the players who have been part of this pre-season camp right from the off? Yeah, that's advantageous to Liverpool, particularly as, you know, with it being a tournament summer, that's obviously not always the case. And obviously there will be a couple, you know, a couple of players that will that have yet to return. But obviously not too many because um I suppose Thiago saw pictures of him a couple of days ago, he's still on holiday. But you know, the most of the Liverpool players that were involved in the tournament were obviously the captain Jordan Henderson. But most of the players, Liverpool players involved were 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 were, were knocked out quite quickly. So it, it as as Gorsi says, great to have, you know more of them back earlier rather than later because pre-season as we know is always a key time in terms of laying down what what the manager wants getting everyone fit building that kind of morale and team spirit and so on in terms of overall lessons that have been learned from last season i mean i don't i, I don't know if you can read an awful lot into it because it was just the weirdest season we hope and pray that there ever that there ever will be certainly that there ever was god forbid we should ever have have to go through anything like that again um, not obviously, not just in terms of the injuries Liverpool suffered, but obviously, you know, the compressed nature of this of the campaign because of COVID and obviously no supporters, which you know, which affected every team. Of course, it did. But you know, I you know, I don't. I think it's fair. To, obviously, we're a bit biased there. It's very you know, Klopp's whole thing from day one has been built on this symbiosis between the players and the and the crowds, and obviously that's fueled them for so much of it. So I I, I don't think it's, it's exaggerating to say that Liverpool suffered from the lack of crowd more than most but hopefully that that's that's something that's gone to bed in terms of an actual lesson that could be learned i think it, you know liverpool took a gamble this time last year didn't they in terms of defensive recruits by not replacing dejan lover and taking a chance on um the fitness of two certainly two of the three central defenders massive and gomez who did have checkered injury track record and obviously as we all know it came back to bite liverpool in the backside massively obviously they've already taken steps to remedy that by bringing in the likes of canate um, I suppose that maybe the equivalent you could draw would be in midfield. Gini Wijnaldum, who obviously has been such a fundamental part of Klopp's whole era at Liverpool, has left. One of you know, one of the key aspects of Wijnaldum, I always thought, was his versatility. You know, he was able to perform in so many different roles across the midfield. So, you know, we we you know the suggestions are Liverpool are looking to are looking to bring in another midfield player. Um, it may well not be until yeah, and obviously it's important to get the right player as well. Um, but you would hope lessons have been learned from that because after three, four, five years of outstanding recruitment, which has been held up almost as a model for the rest of the game to um, to take notice of, you know, it, you would say last year was probably Liverpool's least effective season in terms of recruitment. So I'm sure that they'll be looking to to improve on that this time around. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
We'll get on to the, the preseason stuff in a bit as well, but let's let's dive into kind of the recruitment and transfer window. And of course, it is this time of year where you get absolutely peppered, whether it be across the website on Q&As, whether it be on podcasts with myself or wherever it be, all about transfers and where Liverpool are. But very clear, obviously, that a midfielder and even more so maybe in the last couple of days with the links with Jared Bowen, that a forward, those kind of two positions very much right at the forefront of what Liverpool want to do. It is, yeah. It's it's nothing nothing we haven't said for a while now. Is it Liverpool obviously looking to um, keep an keeping an eye on whatever midfielders are around, obviously to, to fill in for that Wayne Alden void that Dan mentions, and then of course looking to kind of bolster the the attacking ranks. I mean, in terms of numbers, <clears throat> Liverpool have got more than enough. I mean, they've got the front three, <clears throat> which has been the, the traditional forward line for three years now, and then Diogo Jota. And then Minamino, Origi and Shaqiri. So there's seven there going into three places. But the problem is, is who who has had the desired quality there for Liverpool? I'd probably argue only only four of them. Um, I'm not sure Minamino, whether he's going to cut it at Liverpool long term. I think Divock Origi's time has passed now. And I think Shaqiri, while he does have certain aspects to his game that there are, that, you know, are, are good, uh, for lack of a better term, I think... He's probably in the same boat now with Origi where um, maybe it's time for him to move on as well. So I think a lot depends on the futures of those two in particular. I don't think Minamino, as things stand, is going to be moving on. Southampton's interest has died down after that loan spell. So I think a lot depends on, on these two, if, if one or two can move on and whether or not um, suitors are coming forward. We know that Shaqiri was subject of interest last year from Lazio. Uh, in the January before that was severe in Roma. So there are teams who've been keeping track of his developments. Origi seems to be, um, you know, Wolves always seem to be linked with him, don't do you think they're long-time admirers of him? They could probably use a striker, to be fair. You know, Raul Jimenez is just coming back from that horrendous skull fracture. And Joe Silva didn't really cut it in his absence, so they could possibly do with another striker. But, yeah, I think it's not, now it's a case of just keeping an eye on those two and, and then Liverpool... Uh, could spring into action with whoever's on the shortlist, which, uh, you know, Jared Bowen uh, does seem to be one of them. Yeah, it, it sort of seems to be one of those down where this kind of been the blockage of waiting for squad players to move out, more so in terms of numbers, really, than specifically needing to, to raise the, the funds needed to bring players in. But it is an interesting sort of way in which this might play out in terms of midfielder or forward, which one's the priority Liverpool need to get done. And, and surely I, I would probably argue the midfield is the important one. And it might get to a stage of the money just needs to be put down on a target to bring someone in rather than waiting because we saw kind of the, the patient approach and, and the waiting game, certainly with defenders last year, didn't really pay off for Liverpool. No, it didn't. <clears throat> you know, and we are in, you know, another unusual summer. I mean, it's often the case that, you know, there's a certain domino effect in terms of transfers when one mood leads to another because someone needs to replace someone and it kind of goes down the line because of that. I think that's that's going to be that's that was more of a thing last year, and I think it's going to be more of a thing this year, just because of the nature of the the impact that, that the pandemic has had on football clubs' finances. And um, you would like to think Liverpool aren't quite as dependent in terms of like ready cash flow as others. But you know, the, the other thing, of course, to bear in mind as well is the is the you know the the quotas on homegrown players. I think it's what seventeen is it that, that you have to name, and with Liverpool having got you know having shifted on. Marco Gruic and Tayo 
Iwan Yeah, I always yeah. struggle to say his name. Yeah. Sorry, Liz. Um, <laughs> yeah, that brings Liverpool right you know, down to that. I think that puts Liverpool bang on 17, doesn't it? Yeah, but, 17 foreign uh, players. I think it's you're allowed, yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think now with those two gone, Liverpool gone from 19 to 17. However, you know, as Gorsi says, I think you know, there are a couple in there who you kind of feel the two prime examples, obviously, Origi and Shakiri, where they've contributed massively to the club's success over the last couple of years. But maybe you know, for their for their sakes and also for the sakes of the club, just to freshen the squad up, you know, new faces, new new voices around the training ground. So it so it, it may. It, it may well be that you know things things probably things may well drag on a little longer than people would like. Um, I think I'm right in saying, even though there was talk late last summer that they were going to have a situation where the window was open after the season started, but that hasn't happened, has it? So the window will still be open for a couple of weeks after Premier League matches begin in, in you know what three or four weeks time. So um, it, it may well again be a case of a case of having to be patient. Um, but you know, even though I might, I might have been slightly critical of Liverpool's recruitment last summer in in the last segment, over you know, like they got they got the defensive situation wrong, arguably in the summer, arguably in January as well. But Thiago and particularly Jota, the thing I loved about Jota was it was kind of like an old school Liverpool deal. It literally wasn't being talked about by anyone, and then it, within an hour or two of the first suggestion, it was like it was a it was a done deal. It's harder and harder to do that, I think, in the modern game because of you know the, the voracious appetite for transfer news that you know from most of the supporters and and obviously the media. But I think we just have to place our trust in in the people at Anfield who, you know, by and large on and off the pitch, Liverpool have learned their lessons when they've got things wrong in recent years, and I think we have to have faith in them to to do the same again. Yeah, there was a saga and a swift negotiation last summer, wasn't there, Gorsty, in terms of Thiago and then Diogo Jota coming in. And one name that just isn't going away, I think we first sort of started talking about it on the Blubber podcast a couple of weeks ago now, was Sal Niguez. Now, there is that gap in the midfield. His name is still sort of being banded around and linked to Liverpool. But if he's going to be a midfield player under consideration, very different kind of profile, I suppose, to Jorginho Wijnaldum, I'd argue every every midfielder under the sun is, but maybe if, if a player like that were to be coming into Liverpool, we probably won't see such a hard and fast three-man midfield that is there by and large week in, week out, like we had with Henderson, Fabinho and Wijnaldum and, and more a, a selection, a smorgasbord almost, as it were, for Jurgen Klopp to pick from, horses for courses to, to choose from match to match. Yeah, I think we would have seen that more last season as well. But obviously, the problems in the fence meant that he couldn't quite move the parts around the midfield as often as he would have liked. And that's certainly the case of fullback as well. You know, Robertson and Trent were pretty much made to play every game because you couldn't really afford any more upheaval in the defence when you've got, you know, you're basically just trying to get whoever's fit at the back, whether it be a Fabinho or Reese Williams or whoever. So next season, I do expect a little bit more rotation. Anyway, um, I think um, I think it'd be good to see Fabinho, Thiago, and Henderson playing as a first choice midfield three for a little while and kind of establish a bit of a um, bit of an understanding amongst the three of them. They only played once together last season in that uh, Goodison Park Merseyside derby. Um, so I think that will be the, the first choice three going forward. And then, as you say, horses for courses. Whether Clough feels you might need a navigator type or um, Maybe drop Oxlade-Chamberlain back into midfield. I think 
he might be looking at himself as a bit more of a number nine going forward, uh, or at least a, another string to his bow in, in that respect. But yeah, um, it feels like we're going over all, all ground in terms of me saying that I think you absolutely do need the Genie Wijnaldum replacement. Um, there's no way you can let a player like him go and, and just think that you're okay to, to carry on with, with what you've got. Obviously, Curtis Jones, he's still young in his career, but he's shown a lot last season. He'll be looking to take further steps forward next season. It was interesting to see Harvey Elliott playing central midfield in, in the game against Stuttgart. And, well, I'll say game in the half-an-hour exhibition against Stuttgart on Tuesday. But, um, yeah, I think a midfielder um, is, is a priority, or should be at least. Yeah, just stick with your team. Just sort of talk about in terms of kind of names and things that have been touted around. Obviously, there was East Basuma earlier on the summer that was kind of knocked back. We've heard now John McGinn's name, interested, that word, sort of put to him and Jared Bowen. What Dan was saying earlier about Diogo Jota, though, it seems very unlike Liverpool that we keep hearing kind of these names and, oh, yeah, Liverpool holds some form of interest in them. Whereas so often we sort of see them put out, whether it be a smokescreen or whatever, and all of a sudden a deal has been done in the background and all of a sudden announced. Yeah, well, the, the, the two transfers you, you, you're talking about there, Guy, are specific to Fabinho and, and Jota in terms of mm. no one knew any of them, either of them were happening, were they? And, and that owes to Liverpool's relationship with the guest of Fute, with two representatives of both players. You've obviously got enough of a, of a relationship and a friendship there between them to kind of keep a lid on things where players who, who play for that that um, agency are concerned. Um, whereas Thiago was, was one that was coming and going, wasn't it, throughout the entire summer, really, you know, from June through to September when he finally signed. Uh, at times it was more advanced than others, of course, and then he finally signed in mid-September. Um, so, yeah, I, I think obviously Liverpool would prefer that the, the, uh, the lid was kept on interesting players for, the, for as long as possible. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting as you, you see Liverpool linked with um, loads of players, really. But but it's it's almost a bit of a carousel. They are they are the same kind of what five or six or seven names that you see doing doing the rounds. But I'm I'm, I'm I mean it's, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, a lot of the, the San Miguel stuff is coming from Spain, and it's been a few members of, of Renato Sanchez. I don't think that one will be happening. Um, but I, I do think that Liverpool are well. They have spoken to to Neuhaus's uh, representatives at some point over the last couple of months. I think we know that one by now. So um, it's clear that they are at least looking at a, you know who can come into that midfield role. They're not just putting their fingers in their ears and, and not planning to sign anyone. But um, it's just a case of of what can be done, and and I suppose we will find out at some point. Yeah, we will certainly obviously find out and keep across the echo for the latest on Liverpool's transfer hunts throughout the course of the summer. But Dan, this week as well, Jared Bowen of West Ham United's name popping up. I think a lot of people a bit underwhelmed with that as well. But in the past, sort of shopping within the Premier League, even look to Diogo Jota or even Sadio Mane, shopping within the Premier League during sort of the FSG reign has been quite sort of productive aside from, of course, the initial spree, albeit Jordan Henderson came in in that. Yeah, well, and it was quite ironic. I thought that, you know, this this Jared Bowen kind of link kind of emerged round about the same time as, I think it was the four-year anniversary of Andy Robertson's arrival from Hull City uh, for £8 million, uh, you know, this week, four years ago, 2017, I think it was. 
And there was a similar kind of sneering, dismissive, quite snobbish attitude, really. Why are we, why are we looking at players like that from a lot of these so-called football experts who I'm sure a couple of years later will have been exulting about Andy Robertson, who's become one of an absolute cornerstone of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool regime, one of the finest players, um, I think certainly one of the finest bargain buys that Liverpool have had. You can look back in any era, you know, going back to the likes of Sammy Hippier for 2.6 million 20 odd years ago, Kevin Keegan from Scunthorpe, you know, you're probably talking equivalent type of deals. They were maybe a bit more commonplace in Keegan's era, maybe even in Hippier's era. I think for a lot of football fans, particularly a lot of internet-based football fans, have become rather spoiled nowadays and just expect Mbappes and Haaland's and the big glitzy names that they've seen on Sky Sports and FIFA and whatever. <clears throat> and if they don't get what they want, sometimes the dummies come out of the pram. So I almost kind of take a kind of contrary type of pleasure when Liverpool are linked with this kind of player. And particularly, you know, and, and when you see someone like Robertson come in and prove these prove these people wrong. I think it's extra satisfying. So, um, but I can't pretend to know an awful lot about uh, Bowen. Um, obviously, West Ham had an outstanding season last year and proved pretty much everybody wrong, didn't they? And, you know, until the last couple of weeks of the season, we're looking a very good bet for fourth place. And, and Bowen, from the sounds of it, plays, uh, you know, a key part in that. One of the interesting lines that I read in one of the reports, might have been one of Gorsley's actually, uh, said that, you know, one of the appeals for Liverpool of this player is that A, he's reasonably versatile, but B, he's the kind of character that could come in and potentially wouldn't necessarily be, be too upset to play second fiddle or, you know, or really play a bit part role, you know, while this kind of evolution of, of the of the front three happens. And that makes sense because, you know, the danger of bringing someone like Haaland or Mbappe in, not that that's ever likely to happen, is that what you do with the current front three? You don't want to bring in a big name and then they're sitting off on the sideline snarling and kicking off and pulling faces and you know giving awkward media interviews that just make make the whole situation more difficult so i, I can totally see the appeal uh, of someone like bowen for liverpool it might not please everybody but um you know liverpool have to operate in a certain manner they have they had to before you know liverpool have never been this this the, the way liverpool run is not like man city is not like chelsea uh, and it's proven to be a, a tremendously successful in the last three or four years What's happened in the last 18 months makes that need for financial prudence even more pressing. What we've seen in the last couple of years is when Liverpool absolutely have to go and spend big money, like on Van Dijk, like on Fabinho, like on a contract for, um, like Alisson, even like on a big contract for someone like Thiago that obviously didn't fit the general model of player that they would go by. They will break, they will break their rules when they need to, but generally they will stick to the model that they have in place and I think we have to back them in that. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose the point you made there about a, a big forward coming, we've already seen Sadio Mane rocking the boat, haven't we, this summer and Naby Keita nearly falling off into the water. But Gorsty, in terms of that, I suppose with bringing in a midfield player, it's a lot easier to sell. Vinaldum's moved on and there's a space there you could theoretically say in the midfield whereas bring a forward option in and having already seen not only what the front three have achieved but Diogo Jota coming in and doing a brilliant job that he did it's a lot harder sell isn't it it is yeah yeah definitely and I think that is why Liverpool will be targeting a certain type of profile this summer someone between 21 and 24 maybe someone who can play across the entire front three in a range of positions um not unlike Diogo Jota um well, less than 12 months ago. 
Um, since he's played at Liverpool, he's obviously played on the left, played on the right at times, and even gone down the middle as well. So, um, you know, he, he was someone who was ready to take that next step in his career, and he's, he's probably argued that he's done that since. You know, he's he was starting for Portugal, wasn't he, alongside Ronaldo at the Euros, and I think he scored 13 for Liverpool in, in the debut season, and um, Champions League hat-trick, and, and that would have been a lot more had he not been struck down for a third of the season with that that injury as well. So um I think Jota is, is kind of the the poster boy for for the profile that Liverpool will be looking to to, to kind of replicate again this summer. Um obviously there are there are a few um who are taking their interest in there. Don Daniel Malin of PSV seems to be one who they do like. He does have his admirers in the recruitment team and and Jared Bowen was the latest one to, to come out and, and Liverpool are weighing up a bit of a short list. Um, I think sometimes when stuff like this comes out, though, is fans immediately think that um, this is the player who Liverpool are going to be putting their all their eggs into one basket and going to be going hell for leather to try and bring to the club. It's not necessarily how it works anymore. You look at last summer, Liverpool had a bit of a three-man short list for, for Jota's role, um, Ismail Lassar and, and Jonathan David. And, and with Simicast, they had... Um, we had four in the list, Jamal Lewis, Sergi Reguilón and um, Lloyd Kelly. Um, so they, they do draw up shortlists um, and, and they kind of go for them all at once, if you like, and, and sign them all out and see which one is the, might might be the most, uh, you know, the easiest one, not so much the easiest one, but, you know, which one can they kind of, can they get done? So uh, we're probably looking at a similar situation. The only one who was probably different to that in the last couple of years was, was Thiago and, and I think he was a bit of a special case, you know, such pedigree. A um, little bit of a contract situation of buying, a little bit older than the player normally Liverpool would be targeting. Um, so that was a little bit of an opportunistic one for Liverpool. But generally, I think they will be working towards a profile of someone between 21, 24, possibly on the cusp of, of being an international and someone who's ready to, to, uh, to make the step up. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Right, time to move on to sort of pre-season and the the friendly action we saw on Tuesday and, of course, looking ahead to tomorrow's game with Mainz as well. Uh, Dan, in terms of those half-an-hour games, really bizarre, wasn't it? Because just as you felt as though you could start to see the game opening up a bit, the matches were were ended and then we had the the other games as well. Two 1-1 draws, what did you make of them? Yeah, they were kind of quite an unusual spectacle, really, weren't they? Um, I remember reading an article on our site from from Jurgen Klopp before the game on why kind of he was really pleased they were able to organise this because <clears throat> from the sounds of it, it's something he's been quite keen to do in the early stages of pre-season and he he's, hasn't really found opponents kind of willing to do it. But I think it does make quite a lot of sense because they've only been back in training, what, a handful of weeks, obviously, you know, in <clears throat> the, the, the early part of pre-season is generally, you know, they're kind of whipping them into fitness and kind of, you know, really hammering them on the fitness side. So 90-minute matches don't necessarily always make an awful lot of sense, even if obviously half the time they'll they'll change almost the entire 11 at the 45-minute mark. But, you know, it was, it, it gave it, you know, a, a couple of, um, you know, a couple of, you know, those involved the chance to kind of get a bit of a run out, get some, get some, some minutes in the legs. For the likes of Simakas, who obviously had a, you know, a pretty underwhelming first season at Anfield, he, he seemed to perform quite well in that first game. Uh, Harvey Ellis, obviously, we've all got high hopes for him this season after his, you know, exceptional loan spell at Blackburn. He did really, really well there last season. And, you know, everything you see in here, everything we, you know, the little glimpses we've seen 
do look like he, you know, he could be a really special player. And obviously, everyone was dying to see Canate. Um, you know, the, the one new boy that's come, that's come in. <clears throat> um, it's hard to judge too much on you know the short time that he's played, but obviously the short time he played. But there was that one incident where he showed you know real burst of pace. Even though I think the lad was actually offside to get back goal side and and um, do what he needed to do to you know to snuff out the danger. So it was encouraging. You know, you'd expect to see it slightly stepped up a little bit uh, tomorrow for the match against Mainz, which is which is a proper full ninety minute game, isn't it? Although. You know, you you would you would expect to see at least twenty you know, twenty odd players used, possibly even more than that. And it's just all you know, obviously it's our job to read as much as we can into whatever we're gonna see preseason. But I think we all know that you can't really read too much into it because ultimately it is all just about fitness, pattern of play, getting the players used to each other again. Obviously, you know, the full squad isn't even there yet, some players yet to return from internationals and you know, whatever new signings may come in. But it was just lovely to see. To watch a game of football when there was with Liverpool in it, which obviously is something we, we haven't seen for what two months or so since the Premier League season ended. Yeah, definitely. And Gorsi, I suppose, as, as Dan was alluding to there, we try to read as much into whatever we can and find cryptic little clues. But one continuation, even from last preseason, is this idea of Alex Oxley Chamberlain playing in that false nine position. Obviously, at the end of preseason last year, he picked up that ankle injury and disrupted his season by and large. But that is obviously an experiment that Jurgen Klopp has a, has a fair bit of confidence in. Yeah, it was something he mentioned a good few months ago now. I think just kind of a little bit of detail on it in one of the one of the press conferences, possibly, possibly back in March time, February, something along those lines. And I think one or two thought he might have been seeing it the rest of that season but obviously with Liverpool kind of you know backs to the wall going all out for the Champions League spots just something that they weren't really prepared to do but they're going to get a good look at it now in, in pre-season aren't they? He started there against Stuttgart on, on Tuesday for the half hour um, wouldn't be surprised to see him there again at some point against Mainz and then Hertha and then in those two games in Anfield against the Athletic and, and Osasuna so um, I, I, I think it's, it could be it could be the reinvention of him, couldn't it? You know, he was someone who, who was always forced that wide by Arsene Wenger and Arsenal. He never made any secrets of his desire to be a central midfielder. I think his last game for Arsenal was the FA Cup final. With it. Was he wing-back, was he, Guy, that day against Chelsea? Yeah, yeah, he played, yeah, wing-back. But he did play the following season. He did start the following his, season, yeah. And he was given his the last game was at Anfield, I think. Yeah, he was given his the last runaround. last game was at Anfield, Anfield. when, when yeah. Liverpool won 4-0, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Liverpool signed him later that summer in the season. Yeah, deadline start. day, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe Klopp's looking at it and thinking that this player's got the attributes to be a little bit more for me going forward. Um, you know, he's got that explosive bit of pace about him. Um, got a, he's got a great shot on him, hasn't he? He's probably one of the few who you'd fancy from range in this Liverpool squad. Scored a good goal against Burnley towards the end of the season. That was obviously inside the box, um, twisted and turning and getting shot away on his left. So he's got he's got a, a number of attributes that lend itself towards being a, a front man. Um, it's just a case of, is he going to be the, the same type of player who will allow Salah and Mane to thrive? Because let's face it, these, these are the two main men for Liverpool, aren't they? So um, going forward, I mean, so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he can adapt to that role and, and um, see how he gets on. And then if it's a bit of a failed experiment, um, you know, we do know that he, he can be a central midfielder. 
Yeah, he's such a versatile player and he has all the tools, doesn't he, technically to... I think it is just a case of unlocking the ability that is within the player. But, uh, Dan, we also sort of saw a few of the, the younger lads, certainly in that first game against Varkit Innsbruck, one of which really caught my eye was young Kai Gordon, who arrived mid-season from Derby County. I mean, Liverpool do have this real young crop of players beneath first-team level. Obviously, Harvey Elliott this year may be looking to replicate Curtis Jones from the season before. There's Mateusz Misilowski, who, of course, wasn't involved, and someone like Kai Gordon as well, even younger, only 16 years of age. I mean, it is exciting times watching just below the surface what Liverpool have going on. It is. Um, you know, there's a really talented crop there. They went you know, very close to winning the FA Youth Cup again last season, uh, coming up just short. I think it was against Ipswich Town in the final. Um, and it's you know there's there's a couple of a couple of scouts lads in there as well. Um, I think Le- Le- Leighton Clarkson is, is 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 from is from our neck of the woods as well, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's from oh, Lancashire area, isn't he? Well, there's Tyler Morton. Yeah, there's Tyler Morton news. Sorry, Tyler Morton. I particularly remember putting a piece online about him yesterday, and he was saying about how his dad and his brother are massive Reds who still go the game, and what an absolute thrill it was for him to kind of make his first senior bow. Um, I remember, yeah, you know, when when Gordon came in from the end of last season, I think Wayne Rooney, who obviously has been at Derby County for for quite a while, spoke of him in quite glowing terms. Obviously, he knows what um, <clears throat> about the pressures young players can face, particularly when there's you know the, when there's a bit of hype and a bit of noise surrounding them. You know, the good thing about Liverpool is that you know the the, the academy structure is so well established now. Um, you know, in, in, and the, there's such a continuation in terms of method and approach and. And the values that, that that are passed down right from the first team, and that's the whole idea about it, isn't it? The other the team should play the same way, so that if it's good enough, do rise up the ranks. It isn't a big culture shock when they come through. It may, you know, the numbers tell you it's only ever a, a very small fraction of those who who show the you know the signs of promise at 16, 17, 18 that would actually go on to actually make it in the first team at Liverpool or even elsewhere. But it's one of these where you've just got to keep. Throwing enough of you know, throwing enough of them, giving enough of them a chance, and hoping that one or two will be able to take the opportunities and and potentially save the club a lot of money in the transfer market. Because as a supporter, that you always want that blend, don't you, between brilliant, brilliant players, top stars, but also young lads that have come through. And obviously, Liverpool have had one in the, in the first team for <coughs> excuse me, four or five years now. Trent Alexander Arnold. Who potentially is, you know, who, who has already shown, well, he's won the biggest prize in the game and, and potentially can go on and write, write whatever kind of career he wants for himself. And that's the kind of, that's 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 what these young lads have got to be aiming for. He, he is the model for them for them to follow. But, you know, the encouraging thing from their point of view is that they know that there is there is a pathway for them. If they if they show the dedication, if they you know, if they give everything they've got, take take the learning on board. And ultimately, it grasps the opportunity put in front of them. But yeah, one of the great things about preseason is is seeing who are the who are the likely next cabs off the rank. And yeah. you know, it, Gordon and Morton look 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 to have as good a chance as any. Yeah, it was a, a big kind of difference, I suppose, of course, in terms of strength of the the two sides against Varkar Innsbruck and against Stuttgart. With the side that played Stuttgart more nominally. Uh, yeah. the sort of first 11 players, as it were. Trent was in that first game, as was Joel Matip. And I suppose they're kind of guys who will be looking to maybe join that more senior group. And behind them, in terms of their rehab, are Van Dijk and Gomez. So are we beginning to get a very early hint that maybe it might be 
Konate and, and Matip for that opening game with Norwich. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it was quite telling when Klopp got asked after the game, is there any chance for Gomez and, and um, Van Dijk against Mainz? And basically, scared to the round it and said he'd be surprised. But reading between the lines, it, that was a, it was a no, wasn't it? So I think now Konate and, and Matip have got a few weeks to, to kind of gel together um, and show what they can do ahead of that game against Norwich. Um Matt Phillips, of course, it was an interesting one. Some people noted that he wasn't involved because of potential interest. Don't know that to be true, but it's um, it's a fairly logical step when, when you think um, he, he was involved in pre-season as much as anyone else, so, so why wouldn't he be getting a game? Um, but, yeah, I think um, I think it's, a, it's an important couple of weeks for Van Dijk and Gomez. I don't think we should be overly concerned that they're not starting, they're not starting any friendlies at the moment. I think um, where are we now? We're still three weeks away from the start of the Premier League season. I don't think either will be starting the Premier League season, but um, I think they'll get enough kind of training sessions in the legs, and um, hopefully there's no adverse effects of that. And then maybe we'll be seeing them a little bit, you know, a few weeks into the season when they're up and running a bit more. And, and I think at the moment it is um, it is with the shirts are with Canate and Matip, and um, you know if they were starting a Carroll Road on the 14th of of uh, August, don't think too many people would be too concerned with that, would they? Certainly, when you think of some of the patched up backlines Liverpool fans uh, were made to watch last season. Yeah, most definitely. Well, of course, it is Mainz to come then on Friday. Make sure you stick across the Liverpool Echo website. We, of course, here on Blood Red, will be with you with a post-game debrief. In the meantime, do check out the link in the description to our Blood Red Club exclusive content, finding its way directly to your email inbox every single week. All it takes is for you to sign up and that content will find you. But from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst and Dan Kay, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.